Father, you are so wonderful and so kind and so merciful, and you are great. We thank you that you would not spare your only son, but that you gave him for us. We thank you that in your son Jesus alone there is salvation. And Father, we thank you for the time that we have today, and I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would work in them, that we would receive your word, and that you would uh, enable us to see things correctly and respond rightly. We thank you for your word, and we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we go through life, I think you will all realize there are times when we are presented with certain circumstances and situations to which our response will have great impact. Now, every one of us will come across those situations, and the impact may be sooner than later, or it may be later. But there's one thing that is presented before all of us, which is common to all men. Well, what is that? It is the presentation of Jesus. And we're going to see today that our response determines our eternal destiny. Would you turn with me to the book of Luke? And we're going to be looking at chapter 2, uh, verse 25 to 30. Verses 25 to 35. Luke chapter 2, 25 to 35. Now, as we come to the Gospel of Luke today, this is Luke's inspired account in which we see in chapter 1 it is based upon him investigating everything carefully and then a desire to write everything out in consecutive order. Now with that in mind, the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And in chapter 1, we see that Luke presents the forerunner of the Messiah, that is John the Baptist, who would prepare the way concerning the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And intertwined within that presentation in chapter 1 is the Luke chronicles the, the account of Gabriel announcing the birth of the Most High, or announcing the, the, that Mary would conceive and bring forth a child. And within this announcement, we have uh, Mary's greeting uh, by Elizabeth, and we have a response of her soul exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. Then in chapter 2, we have the biblical account of the birth of Jesus. The only biblical account of the birth of Jesus. And not the, any others. The only one in Scripture, we see. And then we have the good news being brought by the shepherds. That a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. This, this, the good news brought to them, and then, then bringing the good news. We have the heavenly hosts responding and praising God. Glory to God in the highest. And it's from this point the shepherds go to the manger and they uh, tell they, they find exactly as the angel says and they tell Mary and make known to Joseph what the angel had said. And Mary treasured these things in her heart. Then the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. And it's from this point we come to our passage in which we're going to see the presentation of baby Jesus. And I believe we're going to be challenged into what is our response to the presentation of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Let's go back a little bit. I want to read back to, to 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was, was then called Jesus. 
the name which is given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what had been said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous, was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou, ha- thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Now, I want to just briefly share the context of what we're going to look at today concerning this presentation of Jesus. The immediate context, notice in verse 1 that Jesus was circumcised according to the law, and then it was then that his name was given to him by which both Mary and Joseph had been told to give him. Verse 21, And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, circumcision, contrary to what people might think, was often done at home and not in the temple. And it's on done on the eighth day. They would circumcise the child and they would name the child, as we see in chapter 1, the naming of John the Baptist. And it's exactly what Jesus' parents do with him at this point. So they're not in Jerusalem. They're actually at home. That's at this point, they are obedient to the law and they go to present him before the Lord. But before they do that, they needed the days of purification to be complete. Look at uh, verse 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now in the law, Leviticus chapter 12, there was a required ceremony of purification of the mother. After birth and then afterwards, an offering would be given. And it's within this purification, if it was a male child, the mother would be unclean for seven days and would not be able to enter the sanctuary for another 33 days. And the time doubles for a female child. That's in Leviticus chapter 12. So Jesus then is at least 40 days old when he is brought to the temple to be presented. He's not a young newborn, but he's a newborn, but he's at least 40 days old. And then look at verse 22, and when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, and as we see in, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
Now in Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 18, we see that every firstborn was called holy to the Lord. We see that. They were to be set apart. They were to be set apart to the Lord. And then, having been set apart, there was a price paid or there was an offering. There was a redemption. Numbers 18, 15 through 17. This was a reminder of what the Lord had done when he had brought the first plague or that final plague upon Egypt in which he had delivered the firstborn where the blood was put on the doorpost and they were delivered as God passed over them because of the blood on the doorpost. It was a reminder of that and each firstborn is holy to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus at about 40 days old to the temple to be presented or set apart to the Lord according to the and to offer a sacrifice according to the law notice that verse 24 and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the lord a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons now if you read leviticus 12 you'll realize that there were differing sacrifices based on the wealth of those who could give them and obviously mary and joseph were not wealthy here because they gave a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons So then Mary and Joseph, being obedient to the word of God, having brought Jesus into the temple uh, at about six weeks old, uh, they, they they were obedient. Look down a little farther at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple when the, when his, let's speak of Simeon, when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom law. They were being obedient to the word. Look down at verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. So Mary and Joseph, at about 40 days old for the baby Jesus, are presenting him according to the law. They are obeying the word of God. They are in obedience to God's word in regards to their child. And it's at this point they come across a man named Simeon. Look at verse 25. And behold... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And Luke wants us to take a look. Behold, take a look. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And then notice the description of this man. It's a tremendous description. And this man was righteous and devout, middle of verse 25, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him the text says that this man simeon was righteous and devout well we know from the old testament quoted in the psalms requoted in in uh, romans chapter 3 that there are none righteous not even one no one is righteous apart from the righteousness of god that he brings through the seed of abraham which is jesus christ And as they looked forward to that seed and they believed it was reckoned to them as righteousness and they were then able to be practically righteous in their behavior, not perfectly, but practically righteous. And this man is a true believer. Simeon is righteous. And it manifests, obviously, in his behavior. That's what it's saying. He's a righteous man. And notice it also says that he is was being devout. Devout. This is an interesting word that Luke uses. It's also found once in the book of Acts. And it speaks of taking hold well. Taking hold well. It speaks of of being cautious or careful. And in the context, it speaks of being so religiously. 
taking hold well, being cautious and careful in one's relationship with the Lord. It speaks of being devout, being cautious in your walk and careful in your walk. And boy, folks, this is lost in churches these days. Not many devout, cautious, careful worship and walk, is there? It's kind of like a free-for-all. Just do what you want. It doesn't matter. This man was righteous and devout, cautious and careful. He's a believer. And I want to ask you and ask myself, are we cautious and careful in our walk with Christ? Are we careful? Are we devout in that sense? Being aware, holding too well those things that God declares in his word concerning Christ. Are we cautious and careful? And notice there's another description of this godly man, middle of uh, verse 25, and this man was righteous and devout. Notice it says, looking for the consolation of Israel. This man, as we're going to see, is a humble man. You see, people who are looking for the fulfillment of what we're going to see here are looking for salvation to be accomplished. They recognize they are sinners. They recognize Israel was in sin, that they needed a Savior. Looking for the consolation of Israel, or literally waiting for, waiting for. Now, what is the consolation of Israel? The term consolation, paraclesis, speaks of comfort, speaks of comfort. And in the Old Testament context of Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the comfort of Israel in the context, as we will see, of redemption, of redemption. You see, Old Testament saints understood Israel's rejection. Talking about saints, not just those who claimed as Lord. Talking about true believers in the Old Testament, that remnant of those who really did believe. They understood Israel's rejection because they didn't trust the Lord. And they recognized that God had brought discipline upon them. They had seen their discipline double. And yet uh, God's comfort would come and would ultimately come through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is what Nick read earlier. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You see, Israel as a nation was getting spanked over and over and over again. God's heavy hand was upon them for their unbelief. And yet there were those who were looking forward to the redemption that would come through Jesus Christ. These were true believers who were humble, recognizing their need for a Savior and that the Savior would come. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. Notice what it says, that her iniquity has been removed. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and your sins are removed, there is comfort. There is comfort. There is consolation. And Israel as a nation had not experienced that consolation. And Simeon was waiting for it. He was waiting for what God had promised. That she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This point to the reality of what John the Baptist would declare. To smooth out, repent, for the king is coming, right? He said, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and every hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Simeon was a true believer waiting for what God had promised in his word, the consolation of Israel. You see, indeed, right after the account of Simeon in Luke, we have Anna the prophetess, a godly elderly woman serving in the temple day and night. And, and the scripture says that she spoke of him. And then look at end of verse 38, same chapters, Luke chapter 2. And verse 3, to all, she spoke of him, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, true believers recognized their sin. They recognized Israel's sin, and they were waiting for the promised Messiah who would come to bring redemption and thus comfort, the consolation of Israel. They're waiting for the one who would bring forgiveness of sins and thus comfort. Simeon was a godly man waiting for God to fulfill his plan concerning redemption. And we're going to see he praises God for the salvation that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Look back at our passage, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not, speaking of Simeon, not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the, into the, came in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit had revealed to this true believer, Simeon, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now we know, Hebrews chapter 1, God spoke in many ways, in many portions to the fathers. Now he's spoken through his son Jesus. Somehow the Lord revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And who is the Lord's Christ? It is God's Messiah, God's anointed one, the one that God had chosen, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The term Christ speaks of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Redeemer, prophesied Redeemer King who would rule forever, but yet would need to suffer for the glories to follow. It had been revealed to him that the Lord, he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. What an amazing thing. He understood that God would bring forth and come in human flesh. He understood that Christ would be a child, would be human, that he would not die until he saw this Christ, the Lord's Christ. So then we see him waiting for the anointed one. Now as we move on, look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. This is an Old Testament saint who was led by the Spirit of God. He was a yielded man, righteous and devout. He's allowing God's Word by the Spirit to control his actions. And the same thing for us. We can either walk by the Spirit or we can walk by the flesh. We can walk by our own desires, our own will, or we can yield ourselves to the will of God as God by His Spirit directs our actions, attitudes, and speech. And this righteous and devout man came in the Spirit into the temple. He was a yielded man. He's obviously being led by the Spirit. And so why would God share so much about his character and his leading of the Spirit of God? Why would he share that? I think first of all, and primarily, he wants us to recognize what Simeon says at this point. What he declares is not from man, it is from God. It is from a man inspired by the Spirit. All Scripture is inspired by God, right? Men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. Now one last uh, observation concerning this man he was a submissive servant look down at verse 29 now lord this is after he sees the child thou dost let thy bond servant depart in peace according to thy word very interesting he calls himself the lord's bond servant i'm your servant 
You know, so often people don't even realize when we get saved, we get saved to serve the living God. We are servants of the living God. But what's interesting is he says, not curios as Lord that we see in the New Testament, but he says, despata. You are the absolute master. You are the absolute master over everything. And now I have seen thy salvation. I can die now. You're my master. Your bondservant has seen it. Do you see the Lord as the absolute despata? the one who is a good and gracious master over us? Simeon did. This is a godly man. What a wonderful picture of a godly man. Simeon is righteous. He is devout. He is careful in his walk. He is spirit-led. He is humble, waiting in, for, the, for the fulfillment of, of the promises concerning Christ in regards to the forgiveness of sins. And he sees him as his absolute sovereign over him. You see, you know, by our new nature in Christ, we are like this. We are like this also. Yet only when we only when we yield to Christ. Yet our old ways creep in so subtly. But when we are walking with the Lord, we will be like the Lord when we are yielded to him. Simeon is a godly man because God is manifest in him. He's functioning by the Spirit of God. So I want to ask you, would God describe you this way? Would God describe you this way? Spirit yet led, yielded, devout, righteous, careful, humble, seeking your, seeking, seeing your own sinfulness and need of a Savior? Being a servant of your sovereign master? Simeon was. This is a normal man like, like you and I, normal human being, who God used greatly, as we're going to see, declare, to declare the excellencies of his son. So we have a good picture of this man. Now let's take a, a look at the response of Simeon, the believer, to seeing baby Jesus, his salvation. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And look at verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple... And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, speaking of singing, took him into his arms and blessed God and said. So here, Mary and Joseph, again out of obedience, are in the right place at the right time, obeying the Lord God. And at this point, this man, Simeon, takes the baby Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, and blessed God and said. And notice what he says here. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant die in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon acknowledges that God has kept his word that God has kept his word. And by the way, God is faithful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Believe what he has said. Don't worry about anything, but pray. Simeon was a godly man, and he trusted in the Lord. And he knew he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. He believed that, and he says, now I can depart. Why? Why can he depart in peace? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. The Lord's Christ, thy salvation. Salvation is from God. God is the one who designed his salvation plan. It is all his doing. 
Thy salvation, the Lord's Christ. It is so important to see that salvation comes from no one other than the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. God brings his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, man seeks thy salvation in different ways, religiously or whatever it might be, but salvation only comes through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we are sinful. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We have all fallen short. And God is righteous God, and he will bring his judgment against us. But yet, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. John uh, 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt. And it came among us, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What did the angel say to Matthew, in Matthew, to, uh, to Joseph? Matthew one twenty one. And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. God the Son, the Lord of all, took on human flesh. The Lord is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. And this godly Old Testament saint was waiting for the redemption, the consolation of Israel, which would come in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what Christmas is all about? Look in the end of uh, 27. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law then he took him in his arms and blessed god and said now lord thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word for my eyes have seen thy salvation simeon a godly man led by the spirit of god blessed god the term speaks of speaking well spoke well of god how did he do so by sharing the truth that you've kept your promise. I can depart in peace. You kept your promise. I have seen thy salvation. This babe in their arms is the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Amazing, wonderful realities. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We see God's plan prepared. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 5. Therefore, when he, that's speaking of Jesus, when he, because he existed forever and ever, God the Son, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Jesus took on human flesh. A body was prepared for him. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. The shadows were not what God was looking for to bring about salvation. The shadows pointed to the one who would fulfill those shadows. He says, then behold, I have come in the roll of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, that's Jesus being obedient to the Father's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, especially of believers, 1 Timothy 4.10. Salvation is offered through Jesus Christ alone. Acts 4.12. And there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We are only saved through Jesus. My eyes have seen thy salvation, the one who would suffer and die and bear our sins in his body on the cross. Salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not in a prayer. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that's what Christmas is all about? And notice Simeon continues to speak well and bless God. Notice he continues. He says, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, back in uh, Luke chapter 2, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Very interesting. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. Notice concerning this six-week-old baby named Jesus in his arms to which he has identified as the Lord's Christ, thy salvation. He says, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people. You've done this, as we'll see, in front of everyone. This is not a hidden thing. The term prepared speaks of being made ready. It's a done deal. God made ready and prepared his salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation in, is, is, in Jesus is not hidden. Notice he says, in the presence of all the people, or literally before the face of all peoples. It is before all, as we're going to see. God took on human flesh. It is not hidden anymore. The revelation concerning Jesus Christ is not hidden. It is in front of everyone before the face of all peoples. And then notice he describes this baby Jesus as, verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You see, Jesus is the one that opens blind eyes. He is the revelation of God that we need to see to get saved. He is what God wants us to understand. And he is the glory of thy people, Israel. And now, now the, the language here and the grammar and the original language is kind of difficult here. You could say it one way, Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles to the glory of people of Israel. Or it could be this way. Jesus is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a light for glory to the people of Israel. The light applying to both things. Either way, I think we can understand what this is saying. First of all, Jesus is a light of revelation concerning salvation. He's a light of revelation. Look at John chapter 1. Let's turn there, John 1. We sang that song, or we didn't sing it, the, the choir did. The world's true light. The world's true light. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and he and the life was what? The light of men and the light shines into the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it there came a man sent from god his name whose name was john he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but he came that he might bear witness of the light there was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. 
And look at John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. You know, Jesus doesn't say at this point, I am the light of the Jews. He is a light of revelation to the world, as we're going to see. John 8, 12. And, and again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 12, 46. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. He illumines our sinfulness. We're walking in darkness. Christ, through his word, illumines our sinfulness and he reveals himself as the Savior. We can have forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. He is certainly a light of revelation to everyone, but specifically, back in our passage, it says a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Very interesting. And this is coming from a Jew. Coming from a Jew, Simeon. You see, the majority of Jews at this time did not believe the Messiah was for anybody but themselves. And that the Messiah was their guy to get them out of their fix with Rome. That was their Messiah, the view of their Messiah. And Simeon, inspired by God, reveals this babe in his arms is thy salvation, and he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jew, that's the nations, the ethnos. Now, although... This was not understood by the mainstream unbelieving Jew. God had made it clear in the past in his Old Testament that the Messiah would come also to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verse 2. But there, let's turn to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, verse 1, we'll start there. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Isaiah made it clear that, the, that Messiah would go to the Gentiles. He did, Galilee the Gentiles. But notice there's more. We see this in God's plan. Turn to Isaiah 42, verse 5. But see, Israel had, bad, had a bad attitude. They didn't like the Gentiles. They hated them. They were prideful. Remember Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites. And Jonah knew that God was compassionate. And if, if he preached, God would save them. And he didn't want them saved. And that was Israel's attitude. Yet God's plan was not simply for the Messiah to save Israel, be for Israel alone, but for the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says, thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and whose spirit, and whose, and, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, as a light to the nations, 
to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And, and if you don't need to go there, but I'll read Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of the nations that all ends of the earth may see the salvation of thy God. You see... Jesus says we'll see was Israel's glory, but he's a light to the nations, to the nations. The Apostle Paul shares this in Acts 26, that he was to go to the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus tells him in Acts 26, delivering from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. In Acts 13, we have this tremendous statement for thus the Lord has commanded, I have placed you as a light to the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And guess what? The Gentiles began rejoicing. They began rejoicing. I'll even read that, uh, Acts 13:48. And when the Gentiles had heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many has been appointed for eternal life, to eternal life had believed. Tremendous reality. Jesus Christ, a light of revelation concerning salvation. The one who took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins and rose from the dead. The true light that enlightens every, every man. He is the light of the world. And if you believe in him, you will be delivered from your sin and you will receive salvation. Simeon understood this, inspired by the Spirit. That Jesus, the Savior, the Lord Christ, was not simply for Israel, but he was a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And then look back in our passage. Notice he does explain and exclaim the truth concerning Israel. End of 32, the glory of thy people, Israel. You see, God had made a covenant with Israel. He was their glory. And yet, as we know through their disobedience in Ezekiel, his symbolic glory departed from them. The manifestation of him departed because of their sin. But here we see that God, God, his glory returned in bodily form. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Israel's glory. They had made a covenant, and the Savior would come. He would, salvation is from the Jews. Israel's glory. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Have you seen the light of the glory of God in the gospel of Christ? Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Has God opened your eyes to your sins? The Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, is a light of revelation. God who died for us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And Paul is answering the bogus accusation that no one's getting saved, therefore he must not be a true apostle, basically, and these false apostles in, in this place. And he says, hey, here's the reality of it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants. For God who said, let light shall shine out of, shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be from God and not from ourselves. God took on human flesh. He lived the perfect light. He died for our sins. He is the light of the glory of God. He enlightens every man. Don't reject it. Simeon said, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Thy salvation. The Lord has placed Jesus before us for all to see. He has made known his salvation, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. One, one more passage, turn to Psalm 98. Salvation has been made known to everyone now. The world knows about the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. It's not just Jews. Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Well, there are some of you here today who are still in prison. You are a prisoner to your own desires and your own sins. You dwell in darkness. You are blind because of your unbelief. But it is through Jesus Christ our eyes are opened. And if you're willing to turn to him, he will open your eyes. If you're willing to acknowledge your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. If you're willing to humble yourself. Humble yourself from your pride. That you need a savior. So then we have this tremendous reality that God took on human flesh. My eyes have seen thy salvation. This is what Christmas is about. So how does Mary and Joseph respond? Look at verse 33 back in Luke 2. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Well, what was said? We just heard it, right? Thy salvation, the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. They were amazed. Well, they've been told some stuff already, haven't they, right? Jesus is 40 days old, so it's not too long. It's only been within about a year that they've heard some things, right? And even sooner than that. So they've had some truth given about Jesus, right? Joseph had already known that the child that Mary had conceived was of the Holy Spirit, that they should name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he does name him Jesus, doesn't he? He remembers that. Mary, being a virgin, had been told that she would be, what was in her would be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and it would be called the Son of the Most High, Most High God, and the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, and the holy offspring would be called the Son of God. And she had been told that she was blessed among women, and blessed was the fruit of her womb, Luke chapter 1. Mary and Joseph had been told when Jesus was born by the shepherds all that the angel had said concerning the child. And now 40 days later, they're receiving more revelation through Simeon, and they're amazed. And they're amazed. (coughs) And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. What do you think they're amazed about? He's the Savior. 
But not only is he a savior of the Jews, he's the savior of the Gentiles. He's the savior of the world. He is indeed the savior of the world. How about you? Do you marvel? Do you marvel that God took on human flesh, that he became a man? Do you marvel that he would bring salvation through his son Jesus? Through his son Jesus? Who entered this world, born of a woman, was a little babe, grew up, lived a perfect life, died for our sins and rose on the third day. So then Simeon had been speaking well or blessing God, declaring truth concerning his Savior, the Savior, in his arms. But notice there's more. He also responds to seeing Jesus by blessing Mary and Joseph directly. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, the child, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul from to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Simon blessed them. He, he spoke well to them. And then he spoke to Mary. And these verses are very interesting. Because it sounds like it's not just good news, but there's some bad news. We have some bad news. Many will fall in Israel. We have opposition and a sword. And as we begin to unravel this, notice he says the child, the Christ child, is appointed for two things. One, the rise and fall of many in Israel, and two, for a sign to be opposed. The term appointed actually is an interesting term. It speaks of being laid. It's the same term which was used. He was laid in a manger. He was appointed. He was laid in this place. Behold, this child has been appointed or laid in this place for the fall and rise of many in Israel. By virtue of his coming as Savior, he will bring about the fall and rise of many in Israel. In contrast to the Gentiles whom the Messiah will save, Israel will will be divided. Many will rise and fall because of Christ. I think specifically concerning the Israelites, he's speaking about those who would fall into judgment or rise into salvation based on their response to Jesus Christ. You see, you're either going to stumble over Jesus or you're going to be saved by him. There's no other option. There's no other option. He is the only Savior, and your response to him reveals your eternal destiny, whether you fall into judgment forever and ever or you rise into salvation, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 8. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Listen to what the Lord said concerning the Messiah and Israel. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts you shall regard as holy. He shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then you shall become his a sanctuary, both to the houses of Israel, both to a, the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them. They will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Specifically, that points to Israel's Messiah and their response. 
in contrast to Gentiles who would be enlightened by the Messiah. Notice 1 Peter chapter 2. We have a portion of this. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Certainly the rise and fall, specifically here what Simeon says of, of Israel, many will rise and fall, but we know also for Gentiles that the same applies that you're either going to stumble over Jesus to your eternal damnation or be saved by Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, that means you don't believe you need salvation. You don't believe you're sinful enough or a sinner in need of it. You don't believe what God has said when he says, Repent. You don't believe that. Says You don't believe in Jesus. He says, for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed or disappointed. If you reject him, you will stumble to your eternal doom. Christmas is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Because it points to the birth of the Savior, the only one by which anyone can be saved. And in response to this babe who would grow up and die for your sins is everything, is everything. Behold, the child is appointed for the rise of many in Israel and for a fall, and two, to be a sign to be opposed. The term opposed, back in our passage, speaks, it's anti-language, it's spoken against. He is a sign that would be spoken against. The reality is this sign, this babe would come to Israel as a sign that is characterized by opposition. And he was. He was opposed. He was opposed and eventually crucified. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. They opposed him. Listen to the parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 21. He is a sign to be opposed. Look at Matthew 21. You don't want to oppose him. You don't want to reject him. You don't want to. Matthew 21, verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press and built a tower and rented it out to the growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the wine vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him for the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and shall be given to a nation producing, producing the fruit of it. 
And he who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces, but whoever it falls, it will scatter him like, like dust. Jesus' earthly ministry was characterized by opposition to the point that he was crucified. There's nobody neutral. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. You either will believe what he has said and humble yourself and repent of your sins, or you will play a game with him or you will reject him. This babe in Simeon's hands was pierced for our transgressions. He bore our iniquities in his body on the cross. And let's finish up. Notice this, will, this opposition will strike home with Mary. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed him and said to his mother, Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Look at verse 35. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. And that's speaking to Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul. He's speaking in context of the opposition to Jesus. A sword will even pierce her own soul. It's not, the, it's not a two-edged short sword. It is a large, broad sword, two-edged. It appears he's speaking of the grief that Mary would experience to her own soul based on the opposition to Jesus, which would ultimately lead to his physical death, but yet would bring about our salvation. Prophetically, Mary's going to experience deep sorrow because of the opposition Jesus will face. And you know, I don't have time to go through it, but we're going to face opposition too. If you follow Jesus, there's going to be opposition. And it's going to get deep. But yet God is a gracious God. Because ultimately there's the sufferings for the glories to follow. Notice at the end he says here, And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now grammatically, back in our passage, it's apparent that this last statement connects what Simeon had said before, and he has given a little parenthetical statement concerning Mary, that this sword that's going to even affect you, right? And so you could almost read it this way, literally this way. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, the child is appointed to rise, the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed... To the end that the thoughts of many, or the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You see, he has been appointed for the rise and fall, a sign to be opposed. To the end that the thoughts of, from many hearts may be revealed. You see, indeed, some, one version says it this way, indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will even pierce your own soul, basically, to Mary. What I believe he's saying here is your response to Jesus indicates where your heart is at. Jesus is going to reveal your heart. Your heart's going to be exposed. It's going to be exposed to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, how you respond to Jesus shows where your heart is at. It shows where your heart is at. You cannot be passive about Jesus. If you haven't repented and trusted in him as Lord... Your heart's been revealed. You need a Savior. So what is your response to the presentation of Jesus? As I mentioned in the beginning, there are many things that come upon us, and there are some decisions that we make that have long-term consequences. 
We're presented with those decisions, and if we make the wrong choice, there are consequences. Today you've been presented with the reality of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What will be your response to that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your tremendous love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You sent him to die for our sins. I thank you for this testimony of this godly man, Simeon, who by your spirit uh, was waiting for your promises to be fulfilled, your promise of the consolation of Israel and your promise to him. And Lord God, his eyes saw thy salvation. Father, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would see thy salvation. For those who don't know you for the first time, they would look upon Jesus, truly realize they need a Savior and call out to him, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Save me. Forgive me. And Lord, those of us who have been saved, may we praise you and speak well of you and share your good news. May we be like Simeon, walking by your spirit, honoring you, and praising you for what you have done in your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray.